means of grace. And uh, uh, before I go um, uh, on leave, and by the time I come back in March, uh, at least uh, I'd like to be able to start on the, the actual points. And so tonight I'd like to review the introduction yet again, uh, just so that uh, we can get our, uh, our heads together. There's so many things that has happened since we uh, have these. Uh, and so um, I'd like us to get back into it. So then when I uh, preach the, the second installment on this series is we, we would grasp the context again. Uh, and the, the beautiful thing about the series is uh, it, there's continuity. Uh, but if we don't um, uh, review the, the, the fundamentals of it and the basics and the start, we'll probably have a, a difficulty in understanding uh, the rest of the series. So Galatians chapter 5, please. Galatians chapter 5. And uh, people, beloved, in general, uh, saints and sinners alike, like I said, uh, they desire uh, fruitful and productive lives. Uh, for a start, for many, a healthy life is already a uh, productive life. Just not being sick or being unwell uh, is already a fruitful life. All of us desire a fruitful and peaceful life in our homes, uh, and indeed with godly children, a uh, beautiful uh, and, and bountiful um, um, way of, of living, uh, both from a financial point of view and from a relational point of view. Uh, we desire that for our families and indeed our homes. We desire a, a good career, um, uh, uh, not just a good career, but one that is satisfying and we feel that we're making a good contribution to our organizations and uh, we're enriching ourselves. It's a, a joy to go to work every day. Um, and um, uh, perhaps you're in a leadership position or a leadership role in your uh, company. And um, uh, of course, that's always important, uh, a position of influence, an instrument of our channel of God's blessing. These are uh, natural desires, normal desires that you and I would love to have. Now, for those of us who wanted to have a little bit more than um, those ones, nothing wrong with what I've just mentioned, uh, we want to be serious followers of Jesus Christ. We desire more over and above what uh, I just mentioned. We wanted to live a, a spirit-filled life, a, a fruitful life, uh, indeed one that exhibits love, joy, peace, uh, long-suffering, uh, patience, gentleness, kindness, meekness, uh, all these uh, fruit of the Spirit, temperance, uh, faith, meaning, faithfulness, uh, uh, meekness, like I said, uh, self-control. We want to live a joyful, uh, stress-free, trouble-free relationship life. Um, and we really do not desire conflicts. Who wants conflicts? Uh, and so uh, we... Uh, want to be loving of each other and indeed even our enemies as hard as uh, it is. Uh, the Bible commands us to. Now it seems difficult or even impossible many times to do these things, but again, scriptures ask us uh, to be on these things. And so this series that we are, uh, are reviewing and uh, will continue is uh, what I call entitled Garments of Grace. Garments of Grace. But how do we actually put them in practice is the challenge for us. Uh, how do we put these garments uh, uh, ourselves when uh, many times we contend with our old men, 
our sinful nature, the natural man, the flesh? Well, let's find out uh, as we uh, go through a part uh, of uh, this introduction. Beginning in verse 22 of Galatians 5, if you would stand with me, please. Uh, we'll read through this again. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Uh, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that we could look again into this word. Uh, and, and many times, Father, we hear messages and uh, because of uh, the many uh, competing um, um, uh, affections in our lives, uh, sometimes we uh, really need to hear the things uh, again uh, and again. And uh, our understanding is limited. Uh, there are so many things that we ponder. Uh, and so tonight, once again, Lord, as we revisit this and as we look at it again, I pray that you'll teach us your truth. And I pray, Lord, that your will and way be accomplished in us. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Beloved, the, the peak and the ultimate model of faithfulness is no other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, uh, his creation of this world, uh, him being a member of the triune Godhead, remember Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, his creation of this world and out of this world is a testimony of his magnificence, his power. Okay, and notice what he said to man from the very beginning, John, uh, Genesis 1.28, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Now, we normally take that as in the biological sense because that was uh, commanded to uh, Adam and Eve and uh, many a times that, that our understanding of that uh, is uh, about the command to uh, be fruitful in the biological and in the physical. Now, that is the immediate context and I understand that. It's legitimate. But in the scriptures sometimes you can look at a context and you can have a different application. And tonight I'd like us to look at an application of this concept in fruitfulness, not just biologically. Because there is a significant spiritual aspect to that command of fruitfulness. And uh, uh, one of that application is uh, our um, character as a believer. Now, I look across in this room, many of you have been in the faith for quite some time. Uh, not all of you, of course. Uh, and so I, I wonder, as we begin the year, yet again, uh, with no prospect, or with a prospect of this year, but no guarantee, I should say, of finishing the year, for all sorts of reasons, we could depart in glory. Uh, some of us could... Um, uh, develop a, a, a terminal illness this year, God forbid, of course. Or he may come and take us home, which is uh, indeed uh, uh, a, a day, and that's our blessed hope as a, as a believer. Beloved, there is a significant aspect to that command. 
And Second Peter, please, if you would turn there. Second Peter, beginning here in verse uh, one. Second uh, Peter. Of course, this is a different Peter now. This is not the impulsive, uh, loudmouth uh, Peter. Uh, here he writes. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside these, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins." Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you notice verse 2 there? Grace and peace be multiplied. Be multiplied unto whom? Verse 1, to those who have obtained the like precious faith. That means through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Uh, that's you and me. Uh, if you profess to be a believer in Jesus Christ tonight, that's you. That's me. Now that is the fruitfulness, um, the fruitfulness in grace and uh, in peace multiplied. And that is through the knowledge of God, Jesus, and our Lord. One of the uh, uh, things that I'd like us to consider for this year, which we'll probably do a little bit different than the years before, is to, uh, during preaching time even, is to implement or exercise some element of teaching on the fundamentals and basic doctrines of our faith a church-wide discipleship, if you like, especially in the times that we're living in. And this is one of those times. Now, verse 4, we are given exceeding great and precious promises. Uh, why? That we may be partakers of the divine nature of God. You and I will never ever be deity. Okay? We're not God. But we can be partakers of his nature, and that's why we are being sanctified to be conformed to the image of his son. That we become more Christ-like in the way that we live. Uh, now, I know that this is a Sunday night crowd, and uh, like I said, you uh, have been faithful. 
uh, you've been a Christian for long, you would have heard and learned about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, but as I said previously, our goal for this series is not just to know, but to be. Knowing and being are two different things. Uh, to know not just what, but the why. The why and the how to live out the fruit of the Spirit, that joy, that love, that peace, that long-suffering. Um, my desire, my prayer for us is, uh, uh, and how I really want to preach this series, is not just information, uh, but rather relation, relationship, that outward rather than just the inward. We will talk of joy as being the joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, Romans 14, 17, of course. And, and coming from the Holy Spirit and then share the joy unto others. The world is a very sad world. Um, over COVID, I'm sure you've noticed, and perhaps maybe it's obscured because of the mask. But during that time, no one's smiling. You remember? Everywhere you look, people just have a very sad face. Now, COVID is, well, it's not over, but the lockdowns are over. And uh, I challenge you. My concern is when those times that I am in public places, even today, there are still people that are not manifesting joy. Of course, the narrative continues, cost of living, pressures, the, the war in Ukraine and uh, the invasion of uh, Israel and Hamas and all this stuff. Beloved, if we're going to be a channel of blessing in the world that we live in today, 2024, we need to manifest joy. But we can't do that if we don't have it ourselves. We will talk of joy as it is from the Holy Spirit and as we share it to others. We will learn of the peace, that peace of and in Christ which is given to us, John 14. We will consider love as the love that comes from God. 1 John 4, 7. I say it again, and all these and others that we will consider being the garments of grace. My prayer and desire is for us to relate it, to live it out to others. Now, why do I suggest this? Well, one of the reasons why I believe and been led to preach or teach on this subject matter is to clarify the difference between uh, the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's quite a difference in those two. And, of course, the application of these in our lives. There seems to be a focus on self-ownership of the fruit uh, and the spiritual gifts of the Spirit. Oh, brother, you got a gift of... And there seems to be an ownership of that. While we are, of course, encouraged to know and exercise our spiritual gifts for the edification, edification simply means equipping of the saints, inadvertently perhaps we may tend to do so for personal fulfillment. The danger in this mindset, if we're not careful, it can lead us to pride rather than humility in 
service. Somebody said the fruit of the Spirit should be distinguished from the gifts of the Spirit, but ought never to be absent in the exercise of it. For without love and the humility which accompanies it, the purpose of the gift of the Spirit is thwarted. Think of love for a moment. Somebody said, oh, this is done in love. But if it was as it is claimed to be, what does 1 Corinthians 13 says about love? We all know the chapter of love in the Bible. But in verse 5 of that passage, it does say, love thinketh no evil. So if we say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this out of love, you sure? Mm. So to think of another uh, of evil, a brother or a sister in the Lord, and then present it as being done in love is really not true. And it does not conform to with what the scripture says. Indeed, beloved, the fruit of the Spirit is the work of the Holy Spirit and not of us. Uh, these godly qualities, these virtues, are not something that we can manufacture ourselves. Uh, rather, they are the work of God, and he alone is the very source of them. And so, as our series title suggests, we must actively put on these garments of grace. The Lord endows us with these. And it is our responsibility to act on these endowments. So if we are to be fruitful and be partakers of the divine nature, a spirit that Peter encourages us to be, our fruitful character must come. Must come from a great devotion. And great devotion of all is, uh, the greatest devotion of all is the love of God. Beloved, everything that we will do in our service for the Lord and for each other, the greatest devotion in all of that is our love of God. A life that grows in loving God is not only fruitful, but becomes like God. Again, I'm not talking about deity. A mind filled with the love of Christ crucified will be changed into his image and likeness as to being self-sacrificing. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, uh, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as how? By the Spirit of the Lord, the verse says. And so, beloved, our character as a Christian flow or should flow out of our devotion to God. And that devotion must be confirmed or manifest, manifested in practical ways. We may respect God, worship uh, God, uh, pray to God. All of those are good. But our devotion to God is really confirmed by our desire to be like him. 
We see this in the Apostle Paul. He not only wanted to know Christ, he wanted to be like him. And so by now in our Christian faith and the many years that we have been saved, we know a lot about Christ. And the encouragement is that we would just know about him, that we would be like him. And so how is one not only to know but also to be like Christ? Well, the answer to that question is to know, yes, but also to live out the fruit of the Spirit. Again, that love, I mean genuine love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I don't know about you, that is some list of character traits, virtues, and to pursue them is not easy. We can recite the verses, but to pursue these virtues, uh, <laughs> even as a pastor, I'm, I'm not sure, I confess to you, that if I can pursue them all. But you see, therein is the truth. I can't. You cannot. But he can through you. The fruit of the Spirit is the result of his work, his sanctification in us. Our responsibility is as he enables us and as he develops our character, our responsibility then is to submit to that development, to that process. And it's only through these that we are able to demonstrate and manifest these garments. First of all, if we attempt to manufacture this ourselves, it will be fake. It will be not genuine. And it will fail. We will frustrate ourselves of not being able to do it consistently and we're going to frustrate others who on a one day we will treat them with goodness and temperance and meekness. And then on another day we won't. Now you say, Pastor, that's life. You know, you have your bad days and you say things that, uh, that, that, that you really don't intend to say. But, you know, once it's given, you can't really take it back. I understand that. But as God works in us. We become more sober, is the word that I will use. We become more careful. Uh, even in our own speech, we become more and more aware of his doing in our lives. And so do you want to live godly? Of course. That's our desire, to live godly. Well, to do that, we must first have the right motive. 
And the motive is what I said a while ago. Devotion to God. He is the very object and motivation of our faith. To please Him. We may have the sincere desire to please God. We might even refrain from doing or not doing things or actions unbecoming of a believer. But sadly, perhaps our motives are self-centered rather than God-centered. How do you mean, Pastor? Well, we live to maintain our reputation, is it not? We want people to see us in our good light. We live to feel good about ourselves and how, like I said, others perceive us. We seek to live a decent, morally upright lifestyle. And yes, we do good deeds, not only to the household of faith, but also those that are outside of the household of faith. But let me ask, what is our motivation when we do do those things? When Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife, he did not refuse and run away from her because he was thinking of himself and the consequences of giving in to that temptation. Notice what he said in Genesis 39.9. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against who? Against Potiphar? against God. His motivation was not about him, but about God. His standard, his motivation of and for, his morality was God-centered, not self-centered. Isn't this principle true and demonstrated by Abraham through his son Isaac? God told him to sacrifice his son. And because he feared God, he did what he said. But we now know that it was his faith that God found acceptable and pleasing to him. The point is, you and I can obey what God asks of us. But as we obey, what is then is the motivation in that obedience. In Abraham's case, it's faith. In our case, it should still should be faith, but also a devotion to God, why we do what we do. Folks, truth be told, many times in our lives, we don't do things unbecoming because we fear God's judgment. And rightly so. Who would want to defy and displease the Lord. So in our obedience, we fear God, what God would do unto us if we act on the temptations that are before us. But rather, we won't do those things because our focus is not just our fear of Him, but our faith in Him. And there's a great difference. And what he said in his word, our motivation is centered on him and not on us. The fear of the consequences of our actions may prevent us from committing the act that is commendable, but only love 
and our devotion to God in our hearts will ultimately please Him. Slaves, and by application, we obey our earthly masters, our employers as unto the Lord. Colossians 3, 22 to 25. We submit ourselves as hard as it is to the authorities of the land, even though it's sometimes not worth submitting. But we do for the Lord's sake. 1 Peter 2, 13 to 15. We submit or sub- submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God. Ephesians 5, verse 21. And are we not commanded that in everything we do, whether we're eating or whether we're drinking or whatsoever we do, we do all to the glory of God? 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. And so the first principle in living a life of godliness is to have the right motive, that of love, and devotion to God. Second, the right power. Beloved, if we are to have and demonstrate these garments of grace, we must have the right power, the right source of power, and that is this, not this person, but the person in the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, not that we are sufficient of ourselves, to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. How I pray that we would discern the effects and the application of the letter and the Spirit of the law in our hearts. Bible says, for the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. The power of ministration does not lie in us, but our sufficiency is and will always be in the Lord. Colossians 1 verse 29, the apostle Paul recognized that his laboring, his striving uh, is according to the Lord, which or who knoweth him mightily. Again, the power is not in us, but in the Lord. And I know it is so tempting to just take over because of what we think and what we'd like and how we want it to unfold. And but the power is in him, not in us. Philippians 4.13, a familiar verse, but I'm afraid many times we do not fully understand or practice it. We can do all things through Christ, not us, who strengthens us. I believe deep and passionately in my heart that Paul was able to do all that he did because he understood and recognized that the power in ministry is not in him, but is in the Lord. 2024, all the things that we have done in 2023 and some of these things we will do again 
and we will do it all in the power of the Lord. Paul understood the source of the power is Christ and our relationship with him as in him being the vine and us being the branches, John 15, of course. Paul the Apostle uh, uh, and John, uh, and if you are, you and I uh, uh, are to live godly and live out our godliness. We must also understand Colossians 2, verses 6 to 10, in that we are to please. Lord, that means that we will recognize that he is the head of all the principality. That means all rule of authority here on earth and indeed in heaven. Godliness and to live godly, we must have the right motive, that of being God-centered and not self-centered. Secondly, we must have the right power, the right source of power, again, not of ourselves, but of Christ. And thirdly, and this is the last one again for this evening, and we'll do the second part of this next Sunday, um, is that we are to live godly, we must have the right response. Let me explain. This third principle is probably the hardest to understand. You see, we learn that the power to live godly is from God. That's true. But the responsibility of living out our godliness is ours. Many a time in our Christian life, we make the mistake of living out our godliness through our own strength and will. And we then discover that we can't and therefore we fail. And can I say to us, many of the failings and our stumblings for this year, 2024, is because of that. We will try to do things in our own strength. When God said, do it in my power. Now when that happens, and it will, we then resign, relinquish, or even renounce our responsibility. We must understand in our life as a believer the balance of responsibility and total dependence upon God. And it's not easy. It is true that the Lord develops godly character in us. He is the source of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We do not manufacture it. That's true. It is given. It is endowed unto us. But then to say we have nothing to do with it, unqualified, is not a balanced interpretation. Somebody said that for every one of the nine character traits of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, in, in Galatians 5, there are also one and sometimes more than one passage that encourages us, the believer, to demonstrate the endowment. We are therefore to love, rejoice, and live peaceably with others, and that, beloved, is our responsibility. Notice Paul again in his pursuit of a godly life. Turn to uh, Philippians uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 12 to 14. First, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not as though I had already attained. We've been here before. 
either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, that means uh, obtained or uh, got it all together, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth and those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the price of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Notice how Paul used words like follow after. That means press on. Apprehend, that means lay hold of. Uh, beloved, these are intense action and commitment words. Uh, you get the sense that Paul was committed to acting, to fulfilling, being responsible to achieve these goals. He took responsibility and so should we. Now in 1 Timothy 4, 7, uh, notice what uh, he said to his son in the faith. He said, Timothy, refuse, reject, profane, and old wives' fables. The idea here is to do not waste your time, Timothy. Refuse, reject endless discussions on error and false doctrines and teachings. Instead, instead exercise thyself unto godliness. Now, I say this to many that... that um, comes my way um, what do you do with someone who's talking to you about a particular doctrine and you know it's in error and this that and the other uh, you know I, I'd give that person time after one or two admonition about the error of the doctrine but this is one thing I will never do sometimes a person has already pre-made his mind about the doctrine that he believes and every man is entitled to stand in his, in his own doctrine. After one or two or even three admonitions, if that person is still adamant that that is so, that person is really not desiring to be corrected or wanting to know. He wants to convince you to believe what he believes. And like I said, sometimes you just have to agree to disagree. Love the person. Pray for that person. At one point in time, if they needed your help, go help them. But to, as Paul is saying here, Timothy, do not waste your time on things like this. Exercise yourself in godliness. Uh, and uh, refuse endless discussions on error. The word exercise here is gomnazo. It means to train like an athlete. In other words, Paul admonished him not to waste his time, but rather train to be and live out godliness. Live it alone. I say it again, false doctrines and endless debates about these erroneous teachings is not edifying. It's never encouraging. If anything, it's exhausting. I can guarantee you, you stay in it long enough, it will influence you. Even you yourself will question the established doctrines of the faith. Because you spend time with babblings and fables and all these things. It will lead you unto ungodliness yourself. Don't waste your time in things like this. And so how does one find the right response? 
to the seemingly incompatible statements of being responsible and yet totally dependent upon God? I believe we can find the answer again in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, in, in verse 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Notice, beloved, that we are to work out our own salvation. Again, do not be afraid or be confused uh, <clears throat> uh, about this Bible principle. To work out our salvation does not mean we work to merit or we work to achieve uh, or to obtain our salvation or that works be a condition of us being saved or redeemed. No. The Greek phrase work out means expression. Manifestation, actualization, or acting on what is already possessed. In this case, salvation. The Philippians, and indeed us, we received our salvation not just for our own sake, but for the sake of others around us. Expressing, living out the new life we have in and through Christ. Now, while we grow in grace by His divine endowments, it is our duty to grow in that grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to glorify Him both now and forever. Now, Ephesians 4.15, our very own church theme, we say, speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in Him in all things which is the head, even Christ. Oh, beloved, again, these garments of grace are from the Lord, and it is not produced without and through Him. We must not forget that our dependence is and will always be upon Him, but let us also not forget that our duty after salvation is to be godly, practice godliness, and do good works. The trouble is, many wants that salvation, many wants to have that ticket to heaven, but they're not prepared to live godly and exercise godliness in their lives. And we check up on them, you're judgmental. Mm -mm. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. There's your God working in us to will and to act according to his purpose. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, meaning for good works, which God hath before ordained, that means prepared, that we should walk in them. So, Pastor, do, do we have to see a, a change in a man's life after he says, Yeah, of course. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, 17. If any man is a new creature, he is a new creature in Christ. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creature in Christ. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You cannot profess to be saved and live the same way that you did. 
And so, again, works is important, not in saving faith, but in serving and sanctifying steadfast, godly living faith. Three principles of godliness and godly living, as mentioned. We will take care of this next time. Now, we need to get this foundational. We need to get this uh, into our head. I want to refresh you again on this so that by the time I, I go through it next Sunday, uh, you have a, a better understanding. Just for tonight, though, what is your motivation for godliness? Is it God-centered? Do you live godly so that you can have the praise of men? That you can have the commendation of men? Oh, that's great. Do you do it because you love God and devoted to him? I pray that you would. Because many times, even if you do good, many times if you exercise godliness, you won't get a pat on the back. And so when you're not getting it, some people just fall over. They just stop doing it. But if your motivation is God in your godliness, it doesn't matter who prays you. It doesn't matter if you do not receive the applause of men. In fact, what you're probably going to get is the criticism of men because they that live godly shall suffer persecution. So is our motivation of godliness about self or about the Savior? Do you understand that the power uh, to live a godly life does not rest in you, but the Lord and his word? And thirdly, how are you responding to those endowments of grace? Do you understand that it is your responsibility to grow in them and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? To glorify him in the here and now and forever. 2024 is another year. Another opportunity for us to grow in grace and manifest the garments of grace. And the very first step in all of that is to have our right motivation in the God that provides the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Hymn number 160, Channels Only, uh, is our closing hymn. And I, I trust that you've now been refreshed again on this uh, series. And uh, as we will continue next Sunday, you have the foundation right.